This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You might assume we're both good at presenting to a live audience because of this podcast. But at the end of the day, when we record, it really feels like we're just talking to one another. Presenting information in person in a formal setting to a large audience is something that still makes us really nervous. To prepare for a live speaking event we're hosting together, we turn to our masterclass subscription to not only refine our presentation skills, but to build our confidence in a different kind of public speaking capacity. Between Robin Roberts, Hillary Clinton, and Kevin Hart's expertise, our confidence skyrocketed. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass helps you actually do it. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master negotiate with Chris Voss, think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or plan your dream wedding with celebrity event planner Mindy Wise, Masterclass has you covered. There are over 200 classes to pick from, with new classes added every month, like our latest aha moments from Robin Roberts' effective and authentic communication class that we watched before our event presentation. She taught us how to establish a genuine connection with the audience from the start. I'll always be a little nervous before presenting, but Masterclass prepared us in a way that dialed my nerves down and gave me tools to ground myself. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. And right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Get 50% off right now at masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Welcome to Shrink Chicks. My name's Jen. And my name's Em. We have such an amazing guest here today. We're so excited. Because you have all heard about this person for a long time because we are, one, slightly obsessed with them, um, and also their books and their writing. We're very, very excited. We have Emily Nagowski here. Um, is She's an award-winning author of the New York Times bestseller, Come As You Are, The Surprising New Science That Will Transform Your Sex Life and the Come As You Are workbook and co-author with her sister Amelia of Burnout, which we talk about all the time too, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle. She began her work as a sex educator at the University of Delaware, where she volunteered as a peer sex educator while studying psychology with minor in cognitive behavioral science and philosophy. She went on to earn an MS in counseling and PhD in health behavior, both from Indiana University with clinical and research training at the Kinsey Institute. Which is a huge deal if you do not know. (laughs) Now she combines sex education and stress education to teach women to live with confidence and joy inside their bodies. Welcome, Emily. Hello. Warning in advance, you're probably going to hear my dogs in the background. Oh, good. Thunder. Right, thunder. And there's another one? And Olive is the new member of the family. God, welcome, Olive. Is Olive also a pit bull? Uh, We don't know. She's a mix of some kind. She's smaller. We think there's a lot of Jack Russell in there because she hops like a bunny. Really? Oh, yeah, and Jack Russell's, they can jump pretty high, can't they? Yeah, we're really worried about her uh, going over our four-foot fence. Oh, no. Oh, my God. Oh, that would not be good. Now, does Thunder keep Olive, like, in check? Or what's their relationship now that Olive's new? They are best friends. We got Olive to be a sister to Thunder, and that aspect of it has been a wild success. (gasps) Wonderful. My husband has never had a puppy before, um, and has found it uh, taxing 
to go through the process yeah. of like teaching a puppy how to be a dog. Yeah. But when he sees how happy Olive makes Thunder, everything else is like oh. totally worth it. Oh my God. And you have two cats too, right? Yes. Kelly, Shelly and Kim. Oh my God. So <laughs> a full house in there. The, uh, I should be specific that Shelly is a cat. We're pretty sure Kim is just like a projection of a multidimensional being <laughs> that has decided to like pop into our world and will at her leisure pop back out of our dimension and that's fine. Oh, and, and that's, Hey, I kind of like that. Now, is she here to teach us a lesson or just grace us with her presence, do you think? So far, she has just graced us with her that's, presence. That's, it was she so, does teach us the lesson, like she will just sit and glare at our 70-pound pit bull. <laughs> and, and Thunder is like, that's fine. I will keep my distance. And that's a No lesson. problem. It's like, yeah. it's like you're managing constant relationships with your pets. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, it's so funny because I was on a, um, a Zoom session this morning, my 9 a.m., and her cat walked right up and showed me a great butthole shot. Mm. And I got to tell you, I like that cats are just willing to show you their buttholes all the time. It is. It's nice. They're very vulnerable. That's true. And proud. Proud. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You know they make those, like, cat things you can put in their buttholes, too? Seems unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Not the time. No. <laughs> like decorative butt plugs? Yes. Decorative yes. butt plugs for yeah. your cat. I swear I've seen it somewhere. I don't know. But that doesn't sound like that's about pleasure. That sounds like that. It's a, more about like the. Look. Yeah. It's like an aesthetically pleasing thing. Right. Yeah. This I mean, like, they make them for humans too. I know. That's true. That's, that's true. Jewels with rainbow ponytails. That's rainbow true. ponytails. Interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like that. Right? But listen, this is a great segue. <laughs> Like, I don't, I don't know how we get to these segues, yeah, but eventually is, we yeah. get to them. <laughs> Whenever you need a segue, just go right to butt plugs. Exactly. It's exactly. Great. It's the perfect segue into anything we talk about. <laughs> so if you have listened to the show before, you have heard us talk about burnout. You have heard us talk about Come As You Are. Both of these books changed Jen and I's life. It has changed the lives of many of our clients. So uh, we are, as soon as Emily jumped on, we just got shit our pants, or at least I did. Um, and I am such a huge fan. So Emily, first I have to say like, thank you for the work you have done and the normalizing that you have done for so many women with their bodies. It is very literally my pleasure. Thank you so much <laughs> for saying that. It's true. I mean, especially with Come As You Are, um, I've talked to a lot of clients about it. it was just so unbelievably normalizing for them. And I think that like it really opens up the conversation about sex and understanding um, their sexual pleasure and understanding themselves in a way that was never really taught to us. Absolutely. So, so Emily, we'd love to ask you like a little bit about how you got into this work and um, give us a little bit of your, your story that's brought you to this amazing place. Sure. I have, I wish I had a more sort of like emotionally evocative story, but the fact is when I got to undergraduate, um, I was a big nerd in high school. You'll be surprised to learn. Uh, and so I knew I was going to go to grad school, even though I had no idea for what. So I thought I need some volunteer work to go on my resume. <laughs> and uh, a guy on my floor was pre-med and said, come be a peer health educator with me. And I was just like, I like health. I <laughs> So I did. I applied and I got interviewed and I got accepted and then I got trained to uh, go into residence halls to talk to my fellow undergraduates about contraception, condoms, consent, 
a lot of other health issues, including stress and nutrition and sort of everything. But I noticed in the sexuality training I received, I was one of the few people in the room who didn't just like giggle and collapse whenever we started using genital words. Mm-hmm. So that was one clue that maybe this was the direction I should go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then- and was that because you had just always been really comfortable with that or like, I mean, that is a unique thing actually to be that comfortable. Yeah. yeah. And I have no idea why. One of (laughs) the few like sex education moments from my family, I was about 11 years old and I had seen the word vagina. I was in the car with my mother driving home from the library. So I must've seen the word vagina in a book. And I asked my mom, what's a vagina? And I do not remember the word she said, but I do remember this flash of emotion that just like bolted through her body. They told me, whatever this vagina thing is, I should never ask about it ever again. Wow. Which is, that's not an extreme level of sex negativity. It's just sort of like regular sex negativity, right? I mean, I didn't know the difference between a vagina and a vulva until college. Yeah, same. Oh, yeah, same. And I have those things. I have both of those things on my body, right? So, like, but I had no idea (laughs) until I took human sexuality. That was, and at the time, I was, like, so embarrassed. Like, in class, I'm like, what? Like, in my head, I'm freaking out. And then now, later on, I'm like, oh, I bet every person in that class was having the same reaction as me. Because no one's taught about it. Because I had, well, and I went to a Catholic high school. It was absence-only education. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you anything. So everyone was getting pregnant. So everyone got pregnant. Yes. And, and there was a lot of anal sex to keep the virginity. Yeah. That was like, a yeah. Method, that, that happened in Catholic schools a lot. Yep. Even though for, for anyone listening, virginity is made up. <laughs> yeah, it's a social construct. Yes. It's not a medical term. It does, it's, it's nothing. I don't even like saying that word, but that's like, a, that is, especially <laughs> if you came from a religious background, becomes this important thing. It's made up, guys. That yes. doesn't exist. So, so Emily, it, you're, it sounds like your mom was very uncomfortable with even speaking about vaginas initially. Yeah, I, like, I never got the talk of any kind. Um, I did, when I got home from that moment, I did look up in the medical encyclopedia in the house <laughs> what a vagina was. Uh, so the medical encyclopedia told me what it was, and my mother's emotion taught me how to feel about it. Interesting. Go, right? And uh, another sort of hint that I was going to go in this direction, when I first got to University of Delaware, where I went to undergrad, my very first week, I went to this huge, glorious college library, which was like this heaven for me. And the section I went to was the sex section. And I sat in the library and read the height report. Wow. I could not bring myself to check it out. Like I still had that sort of self-consciousness. I didn't want to like confront the librarian and have to check it out. Uh, Or even uh, many pages were cut out of this copy of the height report at the University of Delaware Library. And I couldn't even like approach a librarian and say, where are the missing pages? Wow. Really? My curiosity was that intense that my very first week of having access to that library, that's the book I chose. Wow. It like pulled you towards it. Were you letting anyone else know how curious you were about it at the time? Oh, no. (laughs) It was just, well, and isn't that like such a great, I don't know. I have always loved the library. It feels like this just really special place. Yeah. Because there's like this privacy and like, like, I don't know, it's like sacred ground almost. Mm-hmm. And like, there is something really unique about being able to go and like have this privacy investigate on your own, like as you're developing. Yes. And like, do kids, do kids even do that anymore? 
I know. Yeah, there's something I mean, different I, about it than just yeah. like Googling something. Yeah, yes. Because well, we didn't have Google. Right, we didn't have Google back then. Right, but yeah. now I'm like wondering if anyone uses libraries. But it's so interesting. Like you're going into this place, this public place and like researching this for yourself. Um, but because of like the shame around it, it's hard to check it out and like really look into it. And you were, and how old were you at the time? 18. 18. Yeah. Wow. Right. With zero, zero experience. I had made out with one boy ever. It's, and it's just, it's so interesting that, that, you know, especially as women, we just get no education around this yeah. and there's just so much shame connected to it. Yeah. And I got lucky as hell in that very first year. I randomly became a health educator. I got exposed to all this education. I had obviously bursting curiosity for it and an ability to use these words and talk about it. I loved being able to say these things and having it, watching the impact it has on the other people in the room right there in front of me. I can see people's uh, brains having that experience of like, whoa, I don't have to feel awkward or uncomfortable. I can just say these things and it's okay. I can imagine, like, was that normalizing for you in a way that like, you're so curious about it and you're trying to like connect with people because it's something that, that like is pulling you towards it and to see that other people are like having these same sort of reactions as you talk about it. Anyone else feeling like the mental load of making dinner, the planning, the shopping, the prep, figuring out the timing? It's a little heavy to carry, huh? Same. That's why I am so grateful for Hungry Root. The food quality, simple recipes, true tastiness, and delivery right to my door is truly a game changer. When getting started, you take a fun, short quiz and Hungry Root will get to know you, what you like to eat, and more. Then they'll build you a personalized cart with all your grocery needs for the week and give you delicious recipe recommendations to put those groceries to use. So you can sit back, relax, and offload the many steps of meal planning. Each order is fully customizable so you can take their suggestions or choose anything you want. They've got fresh produce, high-quality meat and seafood, healthy snacks, smoothies, sweets, ready meals, kids' snacks and meals, vitamins, supplements, much more. My favorite item from my latest box was the honey citrus chopped salad, lemon pepper chicken, and the four cheese tortellini. You gotta try it for yourself. Everything from Hungry Root follows a simple standard. It's gotta taste good, be quick to make, and contain whole trusted ingredients. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Shrink Chicks listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com slash ShrinkChicks to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash ShrinkChicks. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. A really fun fact about me that you might not know is that if I let my hair dry natural, it is a frizzball mess, which is one of the many reasons I absolutely love pros. I truly never thought that I would be able to embrace my natural hair texture. Ever since I switched to a custom hair routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Less frizzy hair, yes, but beyond that too. My hair is shinier, healthier, and so much more manageable. Filming the podcast every week makes checking out my hair unavoidable, and I have felt so much more confident on camera thanks to pros. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do. The custom shampoo and conditioner combo, plus the hydrating leave-in conditioner and hair oil keeps the frizz at bay. It also makes for the smoothest blowout. People keep asking me if I got my hair 
cut or went to the salon, which is of course the highest compliment. Pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're certified B Corp cruelty free and the first and only carbon neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. I use this feature when I moved to my temporary house in New Jersey, back to my house house post construction project in Pennsylvania. Environmental factors like water source is something that pros takes into consideration with their customization. So it was very cool that I had the ability to update my location. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin, and they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash chicks. So you get a free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash chicks. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash chicks. It was so much bigger than just normalizing because as the educator in that peer education situation, it was empowering that I could do something. I could spend my time in a way that didn't just help me, but helped all these other people. Wow. So that, so my undergrad degree, as you said, is in cognitive science with uh, minors. It's in psychology with minors in cognitive science and philosophy, which means I like brain stuff. (laughs) I've always liked the brain stuff. I continue to like the brain stuff. And I sort of had this plan to be a clinical neuropsychologist. I wanted to work with people with brain injury and stroke. Uh, But then I got to the end of my college experience and I looked at what I had accomplished and I realized that the work I was doing as a peer sex educator and then gradually as a sexual violence prevention educator and ultimately as a sexual violence crisis responder, that work made me like who I am as a person in a way the brain stuff never could. So that's the path I chose. Wow. So it like that in itself kind of brought out this, like, I'm, I'm feeling good about what I'm doing. I like being connected to this in some way. Yeah. Like I can feel right now in this moment that I'm making somebody's life better. Wow. That's powerful. I mean, like what, there's so many people don't have that fulfillment. I mean, that's like a privilege. It's so lucky to have that in your life. Yeah. My, so Amelia, my twin sister with whom I wrote burnout has known what she wanted to be when she grew up since she was 12 years old. So she's always wanted to be a choral director. She has always wanted to be a choral director. That's a a very specific job for a 12 year old. Yeah. She had this epiphany when she was 12 years old, waving her arms in the air in front of a mirror, conducting the Phantom of the Opera because we were 12. Yes. And she was like, this is it. This is what I want to do. And she has always known. And 30 years later, that's what she is. Wow. I mean, I and, and, and an author. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, and then she also added on this extra thing with you. Which is like this whole other story that, uh, after I, so, um, I stay in grad school for a long time. I get a job at Smith college as the director of wellness education. I teach a class called women's sexuality, which inspires me to write this book, come as you are. Um, and I travel around the country talking about women's sexual well-being, and this thing keeps coming up that after my talks, women will say to me, yeah, all that sex science is really great, Emily, but you know, the thing that changed everything for me was that one chapter about stress Mm -hmm. and emotions. And I was surprised because I worked really hard on the sex science part. (laughs) Yes. Well, you you know what? And and I can tell you, Emily, when we first read your book, that is exactly what Jen said. Yeah. We had the same. You had, mine was a little different. For me, I love the workbook part of it. I really felt like for me, the gas and the brakes made, that was it for me. Like I understand things that really spoke to me. But Jen, after we read your book, her first thing was, 
holy shit this this you know like the emotional pieces of it yes. i mean i'm <clears throat> i'm a pretty like sensitive person um and and so it just it really speaks to this other part that once again no one really talks about um and then we did we actually did a whole podcast episode on burnout and so before that we read your book yeah and we were like your book had come out we were so excited we were so <laughs> excited and we were it just like opened our eyes in a in a completely different way and yeah. so it sounds like their response to like the stress um that stress part of come as you are um, led you to to talk with your sister about creating burnout. Right. That chapter is there because the best predictor of a woman's sexual well-being is surprise her overall well-being. Mm. <laughs> um, so, but I, I had not actually less of a surprise. But I do think it blew everyone's mind. Yes. It's the kind of thing where when you say it out loud, everybody's like, well, of course it is. <laughs> but we but didn't think about that long. before. We just kept giving them flowers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? right? We just kept rubbing their shoulders. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the number one issue when I work with couples. It's saying, well, I keep trying to give her massages or I touch her butt, you know, and I'm like, you're missing it, man. Yeah, doesn't work like that. Yeah. Well, you're right. You say it out loud and it seems so like common sense but it's not yeah yeah it's a forehead smacker for sure yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> um so what was your response to burnout uh it so so the moral of the story is that i said this to amelia and she was like yeah no shit sherlock can i swear <laughs> but she and she was like so you remember that time when you taught all me all of that stuff and it you know saved my life twice uh, and that's the point at which I was like, okay, so we need to write a book about that. Yeah. Um, and the backstory there is that during her grad school experience, Amelia is in a field that is as highly intensely male dominated as any science or math program. Wow. Like when you think of a choral conductor, what does that vision look like? Right. Yeah. It's an old white man who flails, right? Yes. And has like temper tantrums, yes. like vicious, in order to like get the best out of you. Like that's ever how it works. That's yeah, he definitely has a mustache in my my in your right vision. Yeah. yeah. He has like enormous white hair. Yeah. In my yeah. Vision. Gigantic. Maybe a top. He, he never has breasts. No. No. Or is a woman, despite the fact that there are increasing numbers of choral conductors. So she was in grad school in this like intensely misogynist program. Um, and her stress level was building up and her stress level was building up. And eventually she was lying on the bathroom floor in so much pain that she told her husband, like, we need to go to the hospital. Wow. Uh, and she was there for four days. Her white blood cell count was through the roof and, and they wouldn't let her out because they were still trying to figure out what was wrong. And eventually she was just like, you have to let me go. And she made them uh, let her out. And I did the thing that I have learned as a way to express support and love, which is to bring peer-reviewed research. Of course. Because <laughs> I was like, what's what's going on with you? And she's like, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure my body wants me dead. <laughs> so I bring like evidence-based strategies for like stress management. I'm a health educator in my job at Smithwright at, at the time that this is happening. And my identical twin sister is in a hospital, Johnny, crying, feeling like her body's trying to make her dead. Wow. What is going on here? So I taught her a bunch of the stuff that I was teaching my students on a regular basis. And uh, it changed her life completely. Like it, like she had expected 
because her body had sort of always had things wrong with it. She had always had pain. She sort of assumed she was going to die kind of in her 40s or 50s Wow. her whole life. And then she learned this stuff and she is now healthier and has better overall well-being than she had in her 20s. And we're now in our 40s. Wow. Well, one, I'm so happy to hear that. I mean, I one can't even imagine like what it was like for you to see your twin sister in that situation. And just, it's so crazy because we have so many clients that come in that they end up here because they were at the hospital first. Yes. A lot of clients that I have seen that said, well, I went to the ER because I thought I was having a heart attack. Mm -hmm. It is so often people end up in our office after first seeking medical care because that's how far we let it go. Yes. Because I thought Amelia's story was rare and extreme. Yeah. Turns out, no. Right. Not at all. Right. Yes. What was it like to have that kind of impact on your sister? Uh, I still don't know. So we grew up in a in a pretty dysfunctional family of origin, mm-hmm. where like we had alcoholic father and an anxious, depressed, agoraphobic mother, codependent on our alcoholic father. And the rules in a family like that is you do not talk about the feelings. Uh-huh. Like you just shut yourself up in your room alone, and you you like you never acknowledge that anything is happening. Everything is fine, and whether it's positive or negative, you do not talk about the feelings. Uh, so we actually never did explicitly talk about like wow. what it was like for Amelia to receive help from me and what it was like for me to like give Amelia help. We still haven't had that conversation. Wow. Think about it. You, could we send her, be- you could send her this episode. <laughs> right. Say, <laughs> so, should we talk about this? You'll notice I haven't actually said how it felt because I don't know. Right. But the weird thing is that in the process of writing burnout, we were reading all this really intense, like affective neuroscience and uh, comparative psychology and like very hard science. And the answer to this whole question of like burnout and exhaustion, the answer kept being love. Wow. Motherfucking just connection and turning toward each other's difficult feelings with kindness and compassion. We did not want that to be the answer. Right, right. <laughs> That's too hard. Too uncomfortable. <laughs> it is, it's extremely hard for us. It, it does not come naturally. It goes against everything we learned in our family of origin. But over and over again, the research just kept telling us it's love, it's connection, it's, yeah. it's being nice to each other, even when someone is struggling really hard to be nice back. Well, I, I was, because it sounds like you're kind of doing this research and, and that you're coming to this conclusion that it's love. And was there any sort of healing that came from that in your, between the two of you? Um, you know, because it sounds like you're able to talk about in this very like clinical educational yeah. sense, right? <laughs> right. And so it's like, it almost gives you the barrier, but also allows you to talk about it in a way that feels comfortable. Yeah, it could have been just a barrier, but there was already such a big barrier between us, like just built up over the decades of living by our family rules that the science ended up being the doorway Wow, through the tunnel. So we would do things like sit like on a sofa facing the same direction, not looking at each other, but uh, telling each other stories from our childhood, from our own points of view that we had never, ever talked about. Wow. And we shared a room until we were about 12 or 14, somewhere in there. So like a lot of that stuff happened with us sleeping in the same bedroom. Oh my God. Wow. And and like, what a, uh, what a brave thing to do to like create this book. 
um, where you, the two of you are collaborating and talking about these stories. I mean, I can't imagine. And are forced that. to do the thing yeah. that, the, that yeah. we are writing in the book. Yes. Like right. that is such a brave thing to do because I just, I just can't imagine that was like an easy process. It was not. It was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really difficult. Oh my but, God. So because, so the moral of the story of burnout is the cure for burnout cannot be self-care. It has to be all of us caring for each other, mm -hmm. uh, which meant Amelia and I had to care for each other. Yeah. Uh, so we would do stuff like tell the, the, the most classic example is when we were, I don't know, four or five, I burned my hand like kids do. Um, and overnight I was lying in my bed with my hand held up to the box fan that my parents had put at the end of the bed just to help soothe the physical discomfort of the burned hand. Um, but when I first remembered this story 10 or 15 years ago, I was alone in a hotel room when I remembered it. And mm -hmm. as I remembered it, I didn't like physically feel the pain in my hand. I remembered that my hand had hurt. Mm -hmm. but I did physically feel in that moment how lonely I felt yeah. Wow! lying there. I was like sobbing in pain, this like little kid wow. just desperately wanting someone to come be with me while I was no. suffering like this. Cause I was a little kid, you know? Of course. And, uh, and I think that I think also like this part about, you know, I was a little kid, but don't we all still need that now? Right. Right. It turns out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if think you so. tell a story like this to someone else, it is one of the most healing things you can do is have that person just receive the story yeah. and like say that they can imagine being the person who comes and holds you. And sort of just by listening to it, they are holding that desperate five-year-old, right? Mm -hmm. Isn't it amazing? But what happened for us was Amelia's response was, I remember that night. Oh my God. Yeah. So it's not just that she could hold the desperate five-year-old. She could tell me, oh, I'm going to cry. Hang on a sec. Ooh, feelings. Listen, right. it, it brings it all up too. You know, just as you said, like the emotional pieces of it are yeah. brought up. Like that's the real feeling that gets brought right. up. And it's different because as soon as she said those words, I remember that night. Wow. The loneliness, I could remember that I had felt lonely, but I no longer felt the loneliness right there in my body. Wow. wow. Yeah. Like what a healing experience that like you're bringing up this very intense feeling for you, this like loneliness that was very present at the time to have Amelia listen to that and and say that she was there even though that you know you were feeling that loneliness at the time like to create that healing experience as an adult i mean mm. that like it, and was that through creating burnout that you were able to have this conversation yeah it's because we wrote the book together wow, wow. i mean when you said that was a difficult process <laughs> <laughs> holy wow. shit i mean I have a sister now in a way I never had before. Oh my God. And like, this was a, you created this and, and you helped so many people with it, but like in the process, you also helped a relationship that sounds like needed. Um, yeah. Some it's the relationship we were born deserving 
but had to find our way to. Yeah. One of the questions we get asked a lot by journalists, because the moral of the story is you, we need to turn toward each other's difficult feelings with kindness and compassion. We have to take care of each other. Many journalists ask, well, what if you haven't got a person like that in your life? Right. And at first we were like, well, you need better people. And then <laughs> we realized like, oh, wait, that's not our story. Our story is we had each other. Yeah. We didn't have the skills or the courage to create that kind of relationship until we read all this research that told us, no, this is the way forward. This is, this is how you do it. This is how you build sustainable energy. This is how you heal burnout. This is how you move forward in your life with compassion and confidence and joy in your body is like taking those risks. There's something, there's something about like learning about it in a clinical sense. Like me and Emily always say that, that the best therapy that we've ever gotten was actually just becoming therapists, going to grad school. And that like, there's something about like understanding it in a clinical sense that allows you to dig into it in like a vulnerable way for yourself. And at least for us that are two people that have struggled with vulnerability. Exactly. And I right? think because we are too independent. Like that's me. I like, think there might be a reason why my books resonate with you. Yes. <laughs> right. Absolutely. We are very similar in that way. And so for like Jen and I to like do that work of grad school helped us to then get deeper in those relationships. Cause I needed to hear it on an intellectual level before I could go. Me too. Emotional. That me is too. how I operate. Not everyone's like that. Right. And this is the importance of like knowing yourself. But for me, that's what really works. And that's why psychoeducation has become a big part of my practice as well with my clients. Mm-hmm. Like that they, it's like they can be the, their own therapist in a way. It's almost like you're like teaching them to become their own therapist and like understand themselves in a different way. Well, yeah, but I think it also, yes, in one sense, absolutely. And then this other part to say like, if I we have been taught that these feelings are bad or they shouldn't be. And when I put it in a clinical, like when I put it in an intellectual research-based sense, people will buy into it. Mm-hmm. Like we, yes. give, you know, we, it like gives people permission because it should be enough though, just the woo-woo side of it, but it's not. Right, right. Not in our society at least. Yeah, because vulnerability is, is something that's terrifying. And like yeah. our society has created, has made it this like really terrifying thing that like, it's hard to be fully ourselves. It's yeah. hard to fully connect with ourselves without the fear of like judgment or shame in some way. And if you grow up in a family where, you know, you, it's, it's not modeled for you to be vulnerable, that like everyone's kind of masking their vulnerability, then of course it would be very difficult yeah. to make those connections. But like, I'm just so amazed at like how much that was able to connect you and your sister. Yeah. And the weird part is people think because I'm like the PhD in health behavior and the sciencey person and Amelia is the creative artist musician that I'm going to be the one who needs the data and Amelia is the one who's just going to go with her feelings. Mm -hmm. But I have always been very intensely connected to my own internally. I've like very strong interoception um, and have known how to process my feelings my whole life. And Amelia literally thought emotions were a fiction. (laughs) Like she did not know what it meant to like, listen to your body. I would say things like you listen to your body. And she'd be like, what does, what does that even mean? My body has nothing to say to me. Wow. I mean, she was a middle school teacher and this is a phenomenon among middle school teachers. And she would just not pee all day and not recognize that she needed to pee. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) Like we are very different in this particular characteristic. Uh, And so it took the science. We wrote the book for like 21-year-old Amelia 
-hmm. what would convince her skeptic that she was emotion dismisser that she was what would convince her that feelings exist in your physical body that just because you solve a problem in your life doesn't mean you have processed the emotions in your body and you need rest no seriously you need sleep yes yes don't we all Did you know that billions of plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles end up in landfills every year? I used to contribute to that waste, constantly buying single-use plastic cleaning products without giving it much thought. But then I discovered Blue Land, and it has been a game changer. Blue Land has helped me eliminate the need for single-use plastic and the products I reach for the most. They are reinventing cleaning essentials. Their approach is simple yet revolutionary. Refillable cleaning products with a sleek design that not only looks great on your counter, but also reduces plastic waste significantly. What I love most is the convenience. With Blueland, I never worry about running out of cleaning supplies or lugging bulky bottles from the store. From hand soap to toilet bowl cleaner to laundry tablets that each smell incredible, all Blueland products are made with clean ingredients you can feel good about. I was blown away when I received my first Blueland order. I immediately filled the bottles with water and their tablets, which was so easy to try everything out. And the ingredients are clean, the scents are refreshing, and the packaging is just so cute. Blueland is trusted in over 1 million homes, including mine. If you're you're ready to make a positive change for the planet without sacrificing cleanliness or convenience, Blueland has you covered. Blueland has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash shrinkchicks. You won't want to miss this. Blueland.com slash shrinkchicks for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash shrinkchicks to get 15% off. I am thrilled that the weather is finally warming up here in Philly. I went to switch out my closet the other day from my fall winter wear to my spring summer wear and noticed that I very much needed a refresh. So thank goodness for Quince that allows me to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Now I have a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. I refresh my closet with the high-waisted linen shorts that come in multiple colors and patterns, the comfiest cotton tees, and my latest favorite, the smocked mini dress. And don't miss out on their accessories. Quince has the coolest sunglasses and 14 karat gold jewelry to complete any look. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, making me feel even better about my purchases. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash shrinkchicks for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash shrinkchicks to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash shrinkchicks. So I would say, okay, so... Right, we talk about it. for anyone who has yet to read it. I will also say burnout chapter five, the bikini industrial complex. Emily, <laughs> holy shit! Bikini industrial complex comes from Amelia and her choir teaching. Yes. Oh it's, my god! It's, I, a, it's that alone. I can't tell you. I to the point where I have said to clients, listen, if you can't, you know, so many of my women I work with, I said, if you can't read this whole book, I need you to read this one chapter because that is a huge part. So I was wondering if you could speak to that a little bit. Um, I know you said that's that's a big Amelia thing. We, we should have Amelia now. Well, the, the, you should have Amelia on. I am actually, actually now dying to talk to Amelia. <laughs> she's, 
I think funnier than I am. <laughs> but uh, so B- bikini industrial complex is uh, a phrase she invented just spontaneously in the moment. You cannot teach people how to sing um, if they can't breathe. Turns out that's an important basic skill. And even really young singers just will not relax their abdomen fully so that they can take a full breath. Mm. And so Amelia is like trying to convince her young singers that like, no, your abdomen is supposed to round. It's supposed to be that shape. That's what's healthy and normal. It's not supposed to be flat all the time. That is not, it's just the bikini industrial complex has brainwashed you into believing that abdomens are supposed to be flat. They're not, they're supposed to be round and they're supposed to move. Uh, and bikini industrial complex is the word that she gave to this like in huge business that profits off of women hating their bodies and um, doing everything they can to make their bodies conform to a culturally constructed aspirational beauty ideal that has no particular relationship with health, but not only has been tied to the idea of like, this is what health looks like, as if there is a thing health looks like in every body, but also like morally. Right, right. If your body doesn't conform to this shape, then you have failed as a woman and deserve to be punished. I know if there's no one around who will punish you, we will just go ahead and beat the crap out of ourselves. No problem. We'll take it. No problem. I can do that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I also hear it all the time with um, some of my sexual pain clients with pelvic floor dysfunction that there is, you know, of this releasing of the stomach, right? Mm -hmm. That's a huge part of the PT behind it. People end up going to physical therapy. And we hear it all the time of like, release your stomach and let it go. Yes. We just hold so much. And it goes to how much tension we're holding in our body. Mm. Yeah. People don't even know like the relate, like that their pelvic floor muscle is even there. It plays a role in their breather. Singers and marathon runners are the ones who are really aware of their uh, pelvic diaphragm and its relationship to breathing. Mm -hmm. I think that was her saving grace for Amelia is that she, she'd be like, oh yeah, when I breathe, I can feel the way my body changes. And that's her gateway in. And a lot of mindfulness practice begins with the breath. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, you know, both your books really speak to kind of the connection between your body and your mind and, and creating that connection, normalizing it in a lot of ways and being very aware of it. Um, and I think that, you know, that's not something we're taught and it really, I think, opened our eyes, opened a lot of our clients' eyes and a lot. And, and, and so I think just making that connection and helping people to understand it is like so, so essential. Um, and we actually got so many listener questions for you connected to sex and connected to stress. Some of these we are going to say, and you're going to laugh for the record because so much of it. And the number one thing we hear this all the time in therapy is people want to know what is normal. It doesn't matter how many times we say to them, there's no normal, (laughs) right? That like everyone's different and it's about learning yourself, but people still want to know. Yeah. People have to ask their, I know you say everyone's normal. I know you're going to say everyone's normal. But, but like, not. I have to explain my specific thing and have you say it to me. Yes, yes. because yes. people need to hear that. So some of these words, you're going to hear the word normal and you're going to have the same experience as us. So <laughs> if it's cool with you, Emily, we'll get started. Go for it. All right. So Emily, one person wants to know, is there an average amount of sex per week that is normal? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. This is one of my favorite questions to get. Everyone wants to know. Everyone does want to know. Yeah, everyone, everyone wants to know. Do you and want the to thing is. Yeah. 
if we say the number, like, you know, if we ask a thousand people, how frequently do you have sex? And they give, and we add all those answers together and we divide it by the number of people and we've got the average frequency of sex. You've got this number in your head and you cannot help but compare your sex life to that number. Does any of those people's sex frequency have anything to do with you and your personal life, your sex life, your relationship? No, it has no relationship to you. And yet it truly is impossible not to compare yourself to a number like that. So I I never say that number out loud. No, and and I have so many clients that Google it and there's so much stuff that comes up on Google around it. And so then they just get attached to that number. Right. So they say, well, I Googled it. This is what Google said. And so that's what I'm And So here's my target. Exactly. And then it becomes checking it off a list and not about pleasure focus. Right. If I'm doing it this often, then I'm doing it enough and I'm doing it right. And they're not paying attention to whether or not they enjoy the sex they are having. Right. There's like so much more anxiety and pressure around it, which we know is not helpful. No. (laughs) And it turns in a relationship, it turns into this like, fine, you have the sex as often as average. Right. And then I've done it. You're fucking welcome. Yes, <laughs> I did it. Right? right. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so our next question, how can I navigate sexual self-pleasure without feeling intimidated or ashamed? I mean, that's a bigger question. Yeah. <laughs> Just read your entire book. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and I think I also, you could speak to that there's a part here that you might need to talk to a clinician who has experience in sex therapy, Yeah. right? That there is a part here that you might have to go deeper into where that shame is coming from and intimidation is coming from, um, especially when we're talking about self-pleasure and masturbation. It has a lot to do with where you learn about these things, how you feel about your body. And so it's easy for us to sit here and give you know a vague answer, but I think if that's really feeling strong, that shame, like we want to, you know, really invite you to find a clinician mm-hmm. with expertise in doing that to help you explore that and have you help that success. Does that answer it? Yeah. That word overwhelm. Am I right that there's the word feeling overwhelmed by the... No. Intimidated or ashamed, but like similar. Yeah. Yeah. That sort of sense of threat mm. that there's some dangerous monster that could come get her, them, I don't know the gender of this person. Yeah. yeah. I just automatically assume everyone goes by her. Yeah. yeah. I right. Do that. Right. Um, that that intimidated word is what makes me feel like that's a bigger question than just like I grew up in a culture that taught me um, that I'm not supposed to feel sexual pleasure, and so I need to like relearn that message. Instead, it's I feel intimidated by the idea of my own pleasure because. I got taught the pleasure is dangerous. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Or bad in some way. Like there's yeah. something wrong with it. Mm-hmm. I think as women too, we have been taught that, that like it's shameful to, to allow ourselves to feel pleasure sexually. That there's Oh yeah. Selfish. And, and one of the things I often hear from some of my women is like, if I enjoy self-pleasure and masturbation too much, that I'm not going to want to have it with my partner. Right. That there's this yes. belief. And I've heard women say this, including with like bringing sex toys into their relationship. Mm-hmm. But what if I like that more than my partner? And it's not about that. But there does seem to be this thing is like, if I have too much pleasure on my own, what does that mean for my relationship? Mm. Right. Right. What- the idea that you could like, like your vibrator more than you like your partner. Like think about what that actually means. Right. right. Then I don't think you like your partner that Right. Like, or like, what kind of vibrator do you have? <laughs> if your vibrator can give you an orgasm faster than your partner can, that's fine. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But an orgasm isn't the only thing your partner gives you. And right. if you put your vibrator in the hand of your partner, I mean, that's not always going to be amazing, but that, that has a potential to like blend together. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it speaks to the fact that like, you know, we've been taught too in sex that like the only thing we're supposed to get out of it is pleasure. But for women, like, you know, we talk about what's important for them sexually and like connection is important. Like there's so many more things that we get from sex than just pleasure. And so um, that of course you're not going to love your vibrator more than your partner, but you can be grateful for it. You can, you can create that space of feeling, I feel safe with just myself and my vibrator. Right. right? right. And, and so then maybe I don't feel safe with my partner during sex or I don't feel secure. Right. And that's a good place to start exploring. Right. Yeah. That's a really important piece of information yeah. to know about your life and your relationship. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That you, when you're with your partner, you're sort of doing that monitoring to make sure they feel satisfied and you're meeting their expectations. And you're thinking about like, you know, like your double chin and the cottage yeah. cheese on the back of your thigh and your facial expression. And when you're worried about all that stuff, that is not activating your sexual accelerator. Absolutely not. All that monitoring is just keeping the brakes on. And so when your partner's out of the equation and it's just you and intense mechanical stimulation, of course, with that kind of intense stimulation to the accelerator and you've like just eliminated a whole bunch of stuff that was hitting the brakes. Yeah. Orgasm's probably going to happen faster. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So it kind of brings us into our next question. How to explain to my male partner that I female want to climax every time too. Mm. Interesting. I mean, she just did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, did you it. just so, said it, right? Like you- this is the kind of communication question I'm sure you get all the time. Yeah, like how do I tell my partner I want X, Y, Z? You say it. And the answer is like you say it. So really the question is how do I overcome the barriers between me and saying these words, not just to you, but to my partner. Yes. Mm -hmm. And And people bring all kinds of fear. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Fear of being rejected, fear of, in this case, being like too demanding or having too high an expectation. I can't believe I'm saying that out loud. (laughs) Like, oh, you're just so needy and demanding that you have to have an orgasm every time. Like, (laughs) ugh. But, but yeah, it does. It speaks to, to it, it almost brings up the question, like, what, what is the fear? What's the worry to yes. really ask yourself? Like, what's the worry of how my partner's going to react? And, and what does that speak to in our relationship? Or what does that speak to in my ability to communicate my own needs? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, it's just exactly asking it like that. But to also ask yourself, like, what's the fear? Where's that coming yeah. from for you? And let's acknowledge that, um, like I'm sort of laughingly being like your partner could feel like you're asking too much, but that's real. Yes, Yes, absolutely. The reason we worry about asking for what we want and what we like is because it is genuinely true that that's outside the norm. That is violating the rules of what it means to be like a good little girl, a good woman in a relationship, imposing our own needs as if they're a priority at the same level as someone else's. We truly are breaking the rules and that's scary as hell and could be received um, in a negative way by our partner. So like if you can build a nice soft cushion around the conversation, say out loud, like I'm feeling a little worried about saying this, uh, but I love and trust you enough and I want our sexual connection to be as good as it could possibly be. So when I say this, what I'm gonna ask is that you just stay super neutral. I'm gonna say this thing and I'm scared and I want you to take a 10 second big slow deep breath to like think through your feelings uh and don't say anything at first 
That is perfect. I love that. <laughs> it's Amazing, actually perfect. Right? Um, okay. Will it definitely work now? We're not sure. We don't know. But, but what we do it's a good know, starting point. It's a great starting point. And what we do know is that we can't control other people's reaction, but other people's reaction gives us information. Yes. Right? And the research tells us that we underestimate men. Mm-hmm. Yes. They I truly are uh, interested in our pleasure, genuinely, and are g- attracted to our bodies as they change over the course of our lifespan. Mm. Like that doesn't go away. Our self-criticism changes, but for sort of like a typical guy in America, it is not about just having your body conform to a specific ideal. Mm-hmm. It's like you, the person. That's I, I, that's such an important thing for women to remember. Yeah. And I think it's true. I think we do underestimate men mm-hmm. in that. And I see that especially all the time with uh, new parents. Yeah. With men whose bodies have changed changed after being pregnant, that there is such a fear afterwards, right? And for the most part, I have never, very, very rarely have ever experienced there any be any negative feedback right. from their partners. The partner's like, what do you mean? You gave me this awesome human. Like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And it, it's, you know... I think one, we underestimate men and there's just so much internal pressure we put on ourselves. Oh yeah. There's very few stories that I tell in Come As You Are that people struggle to believe, but the scene where I have a partner contradict his wife uh, and be like, no, I love that about your body. Like you, you really feel critical about this, that people struggle to believe that that's a real experience that somebody had that they told me about. Yes. Uh Yes. We hear because, it all the time. Well, and we project our own insecurities onto others. Absolutely. Right? Like if we feel critical of ourselves in a certain way, then automatically we assume that our partner is going to be just as critical. Right? And then oh, yeah. uh, mind reading, and then that plays into a whole couples therapy stuff that we could go into, but we won't and go into that now. There are those dudes who um, uh, their partner's appearance is uh, a marker of their own status yes yes so like i have to have a partner who is conforms to this ideal or else that like lowers my worth on earth and so they say no i'm I'm only attracted like i can't help it it's just who i'm attracted to i'm just not attracted to you anymore and no that's not what's happening here right what's happening here is that you're uh, not relating to her body in terms of like you know the meat suit monkey suit where this amazing human being lives yes but just as like a marker of your own status. And that's important information to have. Yeah, absolutely. It just gives you more and more information Uh in your relationship. And then you get to decide what you do with that. Yeah. And people totally, when they, when they uh, bring that point of view, if they recognize it, I have seen it change. People would be like, that's not actually how I feel. That was just like a script I absorbed and didn't even realize I was living by. Interesting. Right. And so, and, and right. It's, it's, it's like people are doing things, saying things without even recognizing where it's coming from. And it's yeah. like, sort of like we were speaking to earlier is that like the more you understand these things, um, even if it's from a clinical perspective, like it's helpful to analyze it for yourself, gives you more control over what's happening. Right. As opposed to reacting to some sort of like subconscious things that we've been taught. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So next question. Um, and this is very similar. 
how to become confident in talking about what you enjoy in bed while not making your partner feel offended. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Offended is offended. So that's the offended one was very interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah, I would love more information on this one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Emily, do you have any thoughts? Yeah. Uh, so the word offended like rings a bell for me. Uh, what that says is there's a degree and all of us have this of, of insecurity in the partner that this person is going to feel hurt and ashamed that they didn't already know something about their partner's sexuality. They had to be told, um, and they're going to maybe offended is partly like, you're telling me this as if I don't already know and I already know everything I need to know about your sexuality and you're treating me like a, a person who doesn't know everything already. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a really typical sort of defensive reaction that people can have when uh, new information is being presented to them about the internal world of their partner. Right. So uh, we can't control other people. I'm sure right. I say that all day, every day. Constantly. <laughs> but confidence like because that's the starting place uh and here's what i think confidence confidence and joy is the thing i say that my purpose in the world is to teach women to live with confidence and joy inside their bodies uh and one day a student actually like interrupted me and said could you please define those terms for me oh, wow. and i'm like i will get back to you next week <laughs> about it and i here's what i decided confidence is knowing what is true about your body and your sexuality. So confidence and talking about it with your partner comes from like knowing what Mm -hmm. the truth is. Mm. But joy is the hard part because joy is loving what's true. Mm. Even if what's true is not what you were taught to expect would be true, even if it's not what you wish were true because things take longer or are more difficult or are somehow different from what you were taught it's supposed to be. And the more you can bring both confidence and joy to your communication about your sexuality, the more your partner will receive that information with also shared confidence and joy. If you can love your sexuality as it is, it's so much easier for your partner to love it too. Oh yeah. And and it it gives you more control over the process, right? That we're, you know, we want our partners to respond to us in this like really positive warm, loving way. And that if we're not doing that to ourselves, um, and we're already putting up all these walls, mm-hmm. um, then, then it's going to be much harder for our partners to connect to us in that way. And, you know, I think another piece of this is that our, our bodies change, our, our feelings about our bodies change over time. And so how do you continue to cultivate that as you change and continue to communicate it to your partner as, as you change so that the two of you can really grow together. Yeah. I, uh, I'm approaching menopause now. We're mm-hmm. perimenopausal. Uh, and like, I worked really hard to unlearn a lot of crap about my body and love my body as it was. Um, and, and then it changed. Yes. <laughs> and now I like have to start from scratch, loving this new body. Right. right. <laughs> All that work I put into that other body. But there's, there's a wonderful new book. It just came out this year by Peggy Kleinplatz and Dana Maynard. It's called Magnificent Sex, mm-hmm. Lessons from Extraordinary Lovers. So Peggy and her team interviewed dozens of people who self-identified as having extraordinary sex lives. And they wanted to know what extraordinary sex is like mm-hmm. uh, and uh, how do you create that? How do you get to be a person who has extraordinary sex in your life? And in the process of figuring out what the sort of eight characteristics of optimal sexual experiences are, 
they write about this beautiful distinction between authenticity and vulnerability, both of which are key characteristics of extraordinary sex. Uh, so authenticity is being fully yourself. That's the confidence part of like knowing what's true about you and being fully present in what is true about you. That's authenticity. Mm -hmm. Vulnerability is daring to be authentic in front of someone else. Wow. Like risking that sort of exposure to potential judgment and shame and being received with warmth and compassion and pleasure and joy and excitement. Mm. So as I was reading this spectacular book that everyone on earth should read, uh, I was really struck by the power of recognizing the relationship between authenticity and vulnerability, which are two really different things. And not everybody deserves to see our authentic self because they're going to be jerks about it. Yes. Like if your partner's response to your vulnerable, authentic self is anything short of yay yes. and wow and thanks, yes. then you're going to feel like they're not really there for you right. emotionally. Like they've let you down and that's going to build a wall. It's going to be like another brick in the wall that gradually gets built between couples partners in a relationship where they struggle to connect sexually. Absolutely. It's, it's like, it builds trust to open up that vulnerability and have them respond to you with that. Like, wow, yes, I'm all, I'm all in for this. Yeah. Um, and, and it speaks to like, as we change and as we grow and we, and we understand ourselves in different ways and we open up to ourselves in different ways and we connect with our authentic selves that, um, that it, it gives us opportunities over and over and over again in our relationships to rebuild that trust, to build that trust with ourselves and build that trust with our partners. Um, and, but it's a, it's a, it's something to constantly work on, right? Like you never get to this point where you're like, okay, I'm done. Right. Cause your body changes <laughs> and you change. And, yeah. and so to know that it's like a, it's a process and it's and a your process. partner changes and your relationship changes. Exactly. Everything's shifting. And so it's something to, to just know that you're always going to, to work on in some way. Oof. Emily, we have to wrap up. I mean, there's so many questions we didn't get yeah, to. We, <laughs> we are so sorry to everyone who wrote in questions and we can't get to any of them. Um, but um, if you haven't read Burnout, if you haven't read Come With Your End, Emily, you have an amazing podcast, The Feminist Survival Project. Yes. Uh, so I anticipated that 2020 was going to be, you know, kind of a shit show. <laughs> well, you were right. Oh, yeah, man. Wow. I had no idea. <laughs> so, uh, you, do you have a lot of like, you know, elevated consciousness, psychic abilities or how did you know? <laughs> I mean, I know because I live in America. Yeah. <laughs> fair. That's fair. Us, so, we were like, 2020 is our year. <laughs> Delusional. Delusional over here. Whereas I was starting a podcast called The Feminist Survival Project. Right, right. Really feeling like we're going to have to like be there for each other, hold on to each other, and do everything we can to take care of ourselves to get through what's going to be. Um, I mean, and the survival has become more literal yes. than I ever anticipated <laughs> it being. Um, so... I do, I record it with Amelia. We started out with like, here are the basics of self-care and community care. Um, here's how your brain processes frustration and rage. Here's three episodes about sleep and rest because that's how important it is. And it, it has transitioned to sort of like the coronavirus survival project um, because that's just sort of like what's filling up everybody's bodies is the yeah. dread and uncertainty. 
that people are experiencing. And so now we're talking to uh, a lot of, because of me as a musician, we use a lot of musical metaphors. Mm -hmm. And for when you're an artist, everything is a metaphor. So she talks about like, here's how this science fiction story set in a near future dystopia is actually a metaphor for surviving COVID. Wow. And it's like fascinating and so, such a gentler, more optimistic way to think about it than me with my statistics and doing <laughs> <laughs> wow. but so but yes. so incredibly helpful ours switched over to that too and then we were like listen let's keep talking about <laughs> yeah. we were like how much do you, yeah. you know we need to yeah. talk so about i'm glad things. you have the content so so burnt so everyone um come as you are emily nagowski burnout by emily and amelia nagowski um and the feminist survival project hosted by emily and amelia we highly recommend Emily. We cannot thank you enough for being here. Thank today. you so much, and thank you for your openness and vulnerability yes. with us. Like, and we really appreciate it, and it just it means so much to us. I feel like these days, that's sort of what we've got to share yeah. with yes. each other. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And if, you know, you connect with so many people, and you're going to continue to connect yeah. with people. And, and so. Is there any other place people can find you, Emily? Oh, those are all the. I mean, I'm Instagram. That's mostly pictures of my dog. That's, so, yes, so that's yes. important. So very important. Also follow because Thunder and Olive also need all the love. <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> well, thank, thank you, you for being so much. Today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It was so much fun.